for men of God. Thankful for men of holy passion who love the kingdom of God, who love the work of God, and who desire to be used of God. In Jesus' name, I want these men to come tonight that I've asked, and if you weren't part of this group, just get ready. You'll be part of the next one. In Jesus' name, I want them to come in Jesus' name and share what the Lord's laid on their heart. For the stender, thank you. All right. We're going to take a little history lesson today. Anybody love history class? Liars. Every one of you in the house of God. History is terrible, boring. I hated it. But there are some little nuggets that are pretty cool. So let me, I'm going to give you a little nugget. I'm going to give you a little history lesson. So we're talking about one of the biggest athletic shoe companies to ever be. It's 1988. Everybody said 1988. All right, so now I know you're listening. Now you're there. And you can also say amen and preach the word preacher. I know, now I know you got this. All right, so it's 1988. And this shoe company, they're just starting out, and they need a new slogan. And they're looking for inspiration. Now, we as apostolics, when we need inspiration, we turn to this amazing book full of 66 books, lots of words, lots of stuff in there called the Bible. Now, the world turns to basically whatever they can find for inspiration. Usually not the right place. Usually dark places. Usually places that just don't make sense to us apostolics. And they turn to a story from the 1970s of a man by the name of Gary Calhoun. I'm sorry, Gary Gary Gilmore. Who's staring down the barrel of a firing squad. And they ask him that question. Gary, do you have any last words? And he says, let's do it. Let's do it. Now, the the owners of the shoe company changed the words just a little bit, and they turned it to just do it. And now their shoe company is huge. They have a little swoosh logo that's known all over the world, and that's where they got their inspiration from. Just do it from a man staring down the barrel of a firing squad. Now, I think we as Christians, I think we as apostolics, I I think we as one God believers can do a little bit better than that. So James said, hey, We're going to go back a little further. James said, hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to be doers of the word and not just hearers only. And we can still follow that same slogan that says, just do it. But we're inspired by something a little bit different than what the world's inspired by. We can say the same words and they can have a completely different meaning. So we're going to just do it. Because before Nike, there was James. So here's the thing. Sometimes we get that little inkling that says, hey, I maybe should ask them if they want a Bible study. I'm telling you today, just do it. Don't think twice. Ask them, hey, do you want a Bible study? Or you got that coworker. I had one this week. He came into my office. The first thing he starts talking about is is his uh, grandson who's in the hospital with COVID. He doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know what to say. His his kid's in Texas. He's like, I'm lost. I said, hey, man, I'm praying for you. I'm going to pray for you. And, you know, I didn't say, hey, do you want me to pray for you? I don't care if he wants me to pray for him. I'm going to pray for him because I can do that. And you know what? I said, brother, my wife's a prayer warrior. I'm going to call her and have her pray too. So we're going to do it. We're going to pray. We're going to reach some people. We're going to reach some souls. We're going to reach those that are hurting. Now, maybe it's 3.30 in the morning. You wake up and you're like, man, I'm tired. But God keeps waking you up. No, you should do. Pray. You should just do it. But I want to go back to sleep. I don't, it doesn't matter. Because trust me, you can go back to sleep at 3.30 in the morning when God's woke you up. You're not going to get any extra sleep. 
It's just, it's just not going to happen. You need to do it. You need to pray. Now, you see somebody who's hurting. You see someone who's lost. You see someone who needs a word from God. And you think, well, I don't know. What if I mess up? What if I say the wrong words? What if I do the wrong thing? What's the worst that can happen? What's the worst that can happen if, if the conversation gets awkward? What's the worst that can happen if you don't know what to say? What's the worst that can happen to that soul, to that individual? I can tell you what the worst that can happen is they won't make it. You've been given an opportunity to reach into the life of somebody, to speak truth into them, to speak life into them, to speak the word of God into them. And you were like, well, I didn't want to get awkward. I, I, was, I didn't want to be embarrassed, and I didn't, I didn't know what to say. Let's go back a little further. There's a man standing at a burning bush by the name of Moses. And God's saying, hey, Moses, I got two million people in Egypt, and I want you to go reach them and pull them out. And Moses looks at a burning bush. He's talking to a burning bush. He says, I don't know about that, God. I, I, don't, I don't think I can do it. What God say? Does God say, hey, I need you to go to four years of seminary school. I need you to, I need you to study. I need you to, I need you to do 32 push-ups. I need you to go through all this training. No, he didn't. He said, Moses, dude, you're talking to a burning bush. What's in your hand? Let me use what you already have. Let me use what I already gave you, what you already brought to me. Moses shows him his staff. He says, all right, I can use that. Moses, or God isn't going to ask you to do all these amazing things to be used. He just needs you to bring him what you already have in the palm of your hand. He just, you've already got the talent. You've already got the ability. You've already got the goods. You've already got anything that God needs to use. You just have to say, all right, God, you tell me to go, I'm going to go. You tell me to do it, I'm going to do it. God already knows what you're capable of. Moses was capable of leading two million people out of Egypt. That's the state of Rhode Island. Two million people. Seems small. Go to Rhode Island. It's small, but there's a lot of people there. Two million people. God knows what you're capable of. Sometimes we forget what God's capable of. We forget what he's able to do through us. So let's do it today. have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19. It says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. All right, you may be seated. The country of India uses today what is known as the caste system. For those of you who don't know what that is, it's a social class system. Everyone there worships Buddha. A long time ago, they all did. No one in this system could progress out of their caste, and therefore were stuck in their caste forever. Those who decided to go against this and progress in the world were cast out of society. They were cast out and weren't talked to at all. They weren't allowed to hang out with any of their friends or anyone else. These people became known as outcasts. When India was first opened to Christians, to come in and teach the Bible, the outcasts were the only one to hear this new doctrine. Those who worshiped the Buddha didn't even listen to the Christians. We are all given a message, one that is calling a calling for all of us. That calling is the, the gospel to everyone in the world. If you were to turn to Isaiah, let me turn there for a minute, chapter 6 you'll see that there is the prophet Isaiah. He is in the temple and he's praying. 
there's angels that appear unto him and they start singing. And it, in verse four, it says, and the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, woe is me for I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Skip down to verse nine. And he said, go and tell this people, hear ye indeed, but understand not and see ye indeed and perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat and their eyes or their ears heavy and shut their eyes. Lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and convert and heal. Then said I, Lord, how long? And he answered, until the cities be wasted without inhabitant and the houses without man and the land be utterly desolate. You see, Isaiah is receiving the calling of his life right here. In some other translations, you'll see Isaiah said, God, what am I supposed to do? And God will say, go and show the world the gospel. What I tell you, tell them. Will you? The only question remaining is this. Will you answer, answer the call that God has placed on your life? That means stop running away from the life that God wants you to have. That means losing some friends. Some things in your life will have to stop. But the question is, is it worth it? Is it worth to lose those friends? Is it worth to stop doing drugs or whatever else? Stop doing those lies? Is it worth it? Is it worth to have this life? Because this is the best life. I remember a few years ago, Bishop Wilbanks was in my dad's office and we were talking. There was 200 kids in my church this morning. That's awesome. He said, yeah, it is. He leaned back in his chair. Tears start rolling down his face. He said, I've made some mistakes. He said, son, don't ever leave this church. Because this is the best life. You're not going to find anything else. I've tried it all and nothing's worth it. I said, Bishop, tears blowing up in my eyes. You don't have to worry about that. I've made my choice. I'm staying here. But let me tell you, if you don't make that choice, if you don't get it in your heart, you're going to backslide. You're not going to make it. And you're going to end up in a hell that is very real. And you're going to be tormented forever. I don't want that for anybody. But the question is, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Brother Isaiah, I'm thankful that God sent people in my life to preach the word to me. Because even in my drug addiction and even in my sin, they would come and preach the word to me. And I would still be sinning and still living in that world, even that they even as they was preaching to me. But there was something that happened over the course of time and circumstances and God's word began to to work and there's something about God's word when it goes forth um, for as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven and returneth not thither but watereth the earth and maketh it bring forth the end bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, 
but it shall accomplish that which I please. And it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. For ye shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you into singing and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands instead instead of the thorn shall come up the fir tree and instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree and it shall be to the Lord for a name for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off a seed knows how to wait most seeds wait for at least a year before starting to grow a cherry seed can wait for a hundred years with no problem. What exactly each seed is waiting for is known only to that seed. Some unique trigger combination of temperature, moisture, light, and many other things is required to convince a seed to jump off the deep end and take its chance, to take its one and only chance to grow. A seed is alive while it waits. Every acorn on the ground is just as alive as the 300-year-old oak tree that towers over it. Neither the seed nor the old oak is growing. They are both just waiting. Their waiting differs, however, in that the seed is waiting to flourish while the tree is only waiting to die. When you go into a forest, you probably tend to look up at the plants that have grown so much taller than you ever could. You probably don't look down where just beneath your single footprint sits hundreds of seeds, each one alive and waiting. They hope against hope for an opportunity that will probably never come to some. More than half of these seeds will die before they feel the trigger that they are waiting for. And during awful years, every single one of them will die. All this death hardly matters because the single birch tree towering over you produces at least a quarter of a million new seeds every single year. When you are in the forest, for every tree that you see, there is at least a hundred more trees waiting in the soil, alive and fervently wishing to be. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is least of all the seeds. But when it is grown... It is the greatest among the herbs, and it becometh a tree, so that the birds of the air may come and lodge in the branches thereof. See, the preached word of God will go forth. And we may not see it on the outside at first, but there is something that miraculously happens in the Spirit where God begins to work in the heart of those that hear God's Word. The singing won't save you. The worship won't save you. Although those are essential, it is the preaching of God's Word that will save you when you respond. 1 Corinthians 1.21 For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. God's word will accomplish that which it has purposed to do, whether it takes a week or whether it takes a decade. God is able even whenever we don't see it at first. When we speak, when we preach God's word, it is not in vain. Keep preaching no matter where you're at, on your job, in the grocery store, doing family time or wherever. There is someone waiting to hear God's word. Oh, they may even look at you like you're stupid, but you know what? When they walk away, God's word will begin to work in their lives. 2 Corinthians 4, 1 through 6. 
Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling of the word of God deceitfully, but by the manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of the mighty God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will bring nothing, bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks, they seek after wisdom. But we... We preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness, but unto them which are called. And we are all called, both Jews and Greeks. Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Just like David, when Jesse chose out a man, it wasn't the noble, it wasn't the biggest guy in the room. But God had chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God had chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and base things of the world. And things which are not despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But we give him glory. We don't, we don't glory in ourselves. We don't bring glory to ourselves. But of him are you in Christ Jesus. Who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. And I, brethren, when I come to you, when I came to you, I came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, but declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but the demonstration of the Spirit and the power that your face should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that that are perfect, not yet, not the wisdom of this world, nor the princes of this world that came to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. 
Behold, I show unto you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We shall not, we shall all be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal shall put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass, saying, that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Thy sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which give us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. This week we've had three overdoses and they all died. And you know what? Seeds started growing. People started coming around because they know that they're not promised tomorrow. Our life is just like a vapor. Here today, gone tomorrow. And I pray for them and I got to speak to my neighbor yesterday for about 30 minutes and he tells me he says you know what I'm still trying I'm reading my Bible I'm I'm listening to what I can and you know and I said brother I said you got to get to the point to where you're done with that life and that you want to change God told Ezekiel just like the song said tonight, dry bones rattling. He said, the hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, which was full of dry bones and caused me to pass by them round about. And behold, there were very many in the open valley and lo, they were very dry. And he said unto me, son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest Again, he said unto me, prophesy upon these bones and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones. And I speak to the winds. I speak to the bones from the north to the east to the west to the south. I speak to them in Jesus' name. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and ye shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will bring up flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and ye shall live. And ye shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. We are commanded to preach God's word. And as I prophesied, there was a noise, and a behold, a shaking. Oh, and the bones came together bone to his bone and I and when I beheld lo the sinews and the flesh came up upon them and the skin covered them above but there was no breath in them then said he unto me prophesy unto the wind 
Prophesy, son of man, and say unto the wind, Thus saith the Lord God, Come from the wind. Thus saith the Lord, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and stood up upon their feet, an exceeding and great army, just like in the day of Pentecost, where there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire and they began to speak in other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance and they poured out of that room and there was about 3,000 souls saved that day hallelujah hallelujah God is so good preach the word be encouraged your seed your work is not in vain in Jesus name oh why don't we clap our hands to him Hallelujah. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 26, Likewise the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray, for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Verse 28, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. That's where the denominal world stops. All things work together for good to them that love God but continue to them who are the called according to his purpose the other night I had a dream and I don't typically remember my dreams but I just want to take you there tonight because everybody else pretty much covered whatever I had written down and God gave me a revelation tonight in this dream. I didn't really understand what it meant, but I was standing in front of this house. And it was, and everybody's seen them. It's a house that has been sitting for years. There's no paint on it. The door's hanging off the hinges. Every window in the house was broken. It was dark. It was dilapidated. There was no life within the house. And as I began to walk up the steps, that were barely even there and I walked into the house I began to walk into each room and there was something of rarity found in each room untouched not dusty but just new and 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 rare and something that somebody would always desire to have and as I began to transverse through each and every room and as I went up the stairs it was dark around the house there was no life there was no light but God began to give me revelation there is a purpose from God he came to seek and to save that which was lost understand with me tonight outside this building outside this church it is dark 
it is falling apart. It is in shambles. And nothing is happening that is life. It is falling apart. The world has just coming down all around individuals. But I need you to hear me tonight. There is a purpose of the church to go out and to seek and save that which is lost. There are things within this world, individuals, that God has purposed for them to do some amazing things. He found you within the world. He pulled you out from the world and said, I want to do something with that precious seed. I want to do something with that soul. Tonight, you need to understand, as the church, we have a purpose. We have a a demand from God that are filled with the Holy Ghost to go out into this dark world that is falling apart and grab those things, those souls that are hungry, that are hurting, that are desperate, those backsliders that are ashamed to come back to the house of God because of the sin that they're in. Hear me tonight. The church is called to the purpose. The purpose is to seek and to save them which are lost. It is the purpose of the church to have the mind of Christ. God filled you with the Holy Ghost to go out into that world that is falling apart, that is in shambles, that is in destruction, and to go out into the world with the word that He gave, with the Spirit that He poured out upon you, with the relationship that is within you, with Him and you, with purpose. I've come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. It is our duty to go and not within this four walls, but the church. We're the church. We have the purpose of God with us, with the Holy Ghost moving in us and His Word is upon your lips and His Spirit is moving within your bones. We are a mighty church. We are a mighty army. We are power to be reckoned with. It is the purpose of God that we fulfill His purpose. Well, somebody lift your voice tonight. I'm going to see a victory for the battle belongs to you, Lord. I'm going to see a victory. I'm going to see a victory. For the battle belongs to you, Lord. I'm going to see a victory. I'm going to see a victory. For the battle belongs to you, Lord. Do you believe it? I got a little worried there because while these men were preaching, y'all got too quiet on them. Let me tell you something. This is a preaching church no matter who's standing behind the pulpit. 
And you've got a responsibility as the church to preach with the preacher no matter who it is. Because every time you preach with the preacher, you link up with them in the Spirit. They did a fantastic job. I've got a responsibility to not sit quietly. I've got a responsibility to do it. To be the church. To make up in my mind I'm going to be the church every day of my life. I've got a responsibility to let the seed of the Word of God find its mark in my life. I've got a responsibility to take the Word of God out into my world and to sow the seed of the Word of God, to share what God has done in my life with every person I come in contact with. I've got a responsibility to go out and to seek and to save that which is lost. That's my responsibility. That's your responsibility. You don't have a free pass because you're not behind the pulpit. You don't have a free pass because you're not on the platform. You don't have a free pass because you don't have a title. You don't have a free pass because you don't have an office. You don't have a free pass because you don't have a reserved parking spot. You've got a responsibility to be a dissolver of doubt. Daniel 5 and verse 1. Belshazzar, the king, made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. Belshazzar, whilst he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem that the king and his princes, his wives and his concubines might drink therein. They were vessels that had been set apart for the Lord's use. And this evil, immoral, idolatrous king said, I I think we'll just take those vessels and we'll drink the profane out of them. I think we'll use them for idolatry. I think we'll use them however we feel to use them. Thus diminishing the value in the people's eyes. Then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God, which was at Jerusalem. The king, his princes, his wives, his concubines drank in them. They drank wine, praised the gods of gold, of silver, of brass, of iron, of wood, of stone. The same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand, wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. The king saw the part of the hand that wrote. The king's countenance was changed. His thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his loins were loosed. His knees smote one against another. The king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, the soothsayers. 
The king spake and said to the wise men of Babylon, Whosoever shall read this writing and show me the interpretation thereof shall be clothed with scarlet and have a chain of gold about his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then came in all the king's wise men, but they could not read the writing nor make known to the king the interpretation thereof. He's greatly troubled again. His countenance has changed in him even more so. His lords were astonished. Now the queen, by reason of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banquet house, and the queen spake and said, many believe this is his mother, O king, live forever. Let not thy thoughts trouble thee, nor let thy countenance be changed. There is a man in thy kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And in the days of thy father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods was found in him whom the king Nebuchadnezzar, thy father, the king, I say thy father made master of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. For as much as an excellent spirit and knowledge and understanding, interpreting of dreams and showing of hard sentences and dissolving of doubts were found in the same Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called. He will show the interpretation. This queen walks in. She said, I know everything that you've tried has failed. I know you've run to the things to which you are familiar and you're not finding the answer. But there's a man among you who is a dissolver of doubts. We're going to preach tonight with the help of the Holy Ghost, a dissolver of doubt. A dissolver of doubt. Let's put our Bibles down. Let's go before the Lord in prayer tonight. Lord, we love you. We thank you for all you've done. God, I thank you for these great men of God that have spoken and preached the word before me. God, thank you for their faithfulness. Thank you for their willingness. I pray, God, that you would bless it and multiply it back to them in the name of Jesus. God, I pray that you would bless this preaching church tonight. God, I pray that you would bless them according to the proportion of their faith. God, I pray you'd bless them according to their their joining with me in preaching the word tonight. God, I pray that you'd answer their prayers. I pray, God, you'd dissolve their doubts in the name of Jesus, we pray. Why don't you clap your hands tonight and give God praise. In Jesus' name, you can be seated. Daniel chapter 5, the son or possibly even the grandson of the great Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar, he has made a great feast to the leadership of his kingdom. They are partying as if there is no care in the world. As far as parties go, it is the party of parties. The place is hopping. If he had one, the DJ would have been thumping. He'd have had his DJ wheels spinning and screeching and squalling and 
stopping and reversing and so on and so forth. The lights would have been popping as they should have been. It would have been a happening place. The fog machines would have been smoking. The bass would have been pumping. The liquor was flowing. The meat, the cheese, the hot dogs, the coney dogs, the ketchup, the mustard was flying off the walls. It's going crazy. The pretzels are crunching. They're having a party. They're spinning. They're dancing. They're jiving. They're juking. They're doing everything that they are big enough to do. And all of a sudden, Belshazzar says, I think it's time to take this party to the next level. These Babylonian cups and saucers are, are good. They're great. They worked in the past. But let's crank it up just a little bit. Let's, let's go down to the treasury and somebody get me uh, those Hebrew cups and saucers and bowls and so on and so forth. The gold, the silver. Go get me those things that were meant for the use of Jehovah and bring those because I want to take this party to the next level. And so they do and they go and they find those vessels that had been separated for the use of worship. They find the methods that were used for Jehovah's worship and they bring those into the world. They bring those into that party atmosphere and even today the world tries to mimic what the church is doing they try to take the gold the silver the precious methods of praise and worship and try to use them in idolatrous worship unto the gods of this world but as it was in the days of Belshazzar I believe it's going to be in today's day and age, Belshazzar is seeing something. He sees an image. looks down in his glass. He's trying to count how many times his glass has been filled. And he's rubbing his eyes. Might have looked over at his cupbearer and said, hey, what's in this stuff? Might have waved his hand in front of his face trying to clear the smoke. What's wrong, O kings? I'm seeing things. Man, his party sure is cranked up to the next level. He's looking around for the hallucinogens because he sees writing in the plaster a man's hand, a finger without instrument carving into the plaster of his palace wall. The hand does not have a paintbrush. The hand does not have a pen. The pan does not have a spray can of graffiti paint. He's not painting it. He's not typing it out and slapping it on with sticky putty or duct tape, but it's the same finger that wrote upon the tables of stone on Mount Sinai that's writing upon the walls of Belshazzar's palace. Mene, mene, tickle you farsen. And he doesn't have any idea of what it means. He's never seen anything like this before. He's never heard of anything like this before. He's confused. The party stops instantly. 
Somebody hit the lights. Torches are lit. Windows are open. The smoke is sucked out. Booze stops flowing. And all of a sudden, everybody is stone cold sober. Because the king is trouble. What is going on? Bible says it is countenance changed. Gone is the carefree party boy. Replaced by a very concerned, very confused. Man. The Bible says he's so troubled that his knees start knocking together. Literally, he can't. What? What? What's going on? It's before the day and age of projectors or holographic images. What? One of his servants slides over a chair just as his body gives out and he collapses into the chair. He's got no strength to stand. The joints of his loins were loosed, meaning they didn't have any strength. His knees are knocking. Somebody, somebody give me some help. I need my astrologers. I need my... Chaldeans, I need my wise men. Uh, I need somebody to go get somebody with some answers. Go get the soothsayers. Go get me the magicians. Go get me the people that, that can interpret this. And the king spake and the wise men of Babylon go out and they get everybody there and the king says whoever can read this whoever can tell me what this is it's so important it's got me so hot and bothered that it, I, I need to know the interpretation thereof I'll clothe them with scarlet I'll change their garments I'll give them a chain of gold about their neck they'll be the third ruler in the kingdom I just got to know what is going on and came in all the king's wise men but they could not read writing standing there scratching their heads. You saw what? A little pile of dust down on the floor. It's proof that he really saw what he thought he saw. Nobody's been in with a ladder. The words are there. They have no answer. Then was King Belshazzar greatly troubled. Before their very eyes, his countenance changed again. All the blood drains from his face. As he realizes I'm dealing with something that is not a familiar spirit. His wise men, his soothsayers, his Chaldeans, uh, uh, his, his astrologers, uh, they're used to dealing with familiar spirits. But this is anything but familiar. This is anything that is 
otherworldly. This is something that is supernatural. His lords are astonished. We don't know uh, what to do. And all of a sudden, in, in from the hallway comes the queen. Many scholars believe it was his mother. That the uh, earlier scriptures state very plainly that Belshazzar and his wives and his concubines are all at the party. So this is another queen. Now in walks the aged uh, Belshazzar's mother or maybe even his grandmother. And she looks around and she's got her, her robe tied tight and she's asking them what in the world is going on. And she walks in and walks up to Belshazzar and looks him squarely in the eyes and she has heard what is going on. She's heard the noise and she's caught word of the king and his lords and she walks into the banquet house and she says O king live forever. Don't let your thoughts trouble you. Don't let your countenance be changed. Take heart. I know that everything that you've turned to has not been able to make heads nor tails. It's not been able to make rhyme nor reason out of what is going on in your world right now but trust me king there is a man in your kingdom that is not like your normal sources he is not like your normal wise men he is not like your soothsayers but within your very grasp according to your kingdom there is a man here who is able to take care of what is going on let me preach to somebody tonight that has had a lot of things going on in your world and you've looked in familiar places. You've looked in familiar friends. You've looked at familiar sources trying to find an answer. Trying to find the answer to your issue. Trying to find the answer to the interpretation. I need to know what's going on in my world. I need to know what's going on in the world around me. There is a man in your kingdom, in whom the Spirit of the Holy God is. In the days of thy father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, was found in him. Whom the king, Nebuchadnezzar, thy father, the king, I say thy father. He was a king. Your father. She repeats it. Your father. The king made master of the magicians, of the astrologers, Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. For as much as an excellent spirit and knowledge and understanding, interpreting of dreams and showing of hard sentences and dissolving of doubts were found in the same Daniel. She goes on to say, now, Nebuchadnezzar changed his name to Belteshazzar, but he's Daniel. Does anybody else see the significance of that? She's looking at her son or her grandson, and she's saying, listen, Nebuchadnezzar tried to change who he was. 
tried to put him in at the, the king's table to eat the king's meat, uh, tried to change his name, tried to change his diet, tried to change his surroundings, tried to take away his ability to reproduce physically, thinking that that would change who he was. But we'll just go ahead and call him Daniel because that's Daniel's name. The king couldn't change him. The king's meat couldn't change him. The world that he was thrust into could not change him. There's a man in your kingdom who's got a relationship with God that will not change. Let me preach to the confused tonight. Let me preach to the hurting tonight. Let me preach to the searching tonight. You are among a group of people that will not change based upon what goes on in the world around them. The world may try to label me as crazy. They may try to label me as a cult. They may try to label me as crazy. They may try to label me as too far gone or too far this or too much that. But let me tell you, I am who God says I am. And because he refused to be changed. The name didn't stick. Nebuchadnezzar tried to change him to reflect one of his false gods. It didn't work. Nebuchadnezzar tried to say he's got to do it this way. We gotta to try to put him in this box. And Daniel said, No, I've burnt the box. I will not conform. I will not be told that the Bible says something it doesn't say. I will not accept there's more than one way. Now, let Daniel be called. She said, in him was an excellent spirit, knowledge, understanding, interpreting of dreams, showing of hard sentences, and dissolving of doubts were found in the same Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now, let Daniel be called. Don't try to call him Belteshazzar. It's not going to do you any good. Just call him Daniel. Just call him the man of God. And he will show the interpretation. Then was Daniel brought in before the king. King spake, said to Daniel, Art thou that Daniel, which art of the children of the captivity of Judah, whom the king my father brought out of Jewry? Not jewelry, Jewry. I have even heard of thee, that the spirit of the gods is in thee, that light and understanding and excellent wisdom is found in thee. And now the wise men, the astrologers, have been brought in before me, and uh, that they should 
read this writing and make known unto me the interpretation thereof, but they could not show the interpretation of the thing. And I have heard of thee that thou canst make interpretations and dissolve doubts. Dissolve doubts. Now, if you can read the writing, if you can let me know the interpretation, I'll clothe you with a scarlet. I'll give you a chain of gold around your neck. You'll be third ruler in the kingdom. Daniel answered, keep your gifts to yourself. I'm not interested in the monetary gain. You can keep it, but I will tell you what the interpretation means. You see, God had noticed and God had given revelation of Daniel that he was a dissolver of doubts. To dissolve is to loosen. Said he is a loosener of doubts. It's a joint. It's a knot or problem. That Daniel is described as loosening problems. Daniel is described as a person who can literally take that which, which cannot be undone and undo it. That Daniel is described not as someone who fits into a mold, but as someone who breaks the mold. That the world in which he was thrust was a world full of idolatry, a world full of carnality, a world full of vile and violent sin. But Daniel had made up his mind, I will not be identified by my surroundings. I will only and continually be identified as the child of God to which I am created to be. Let me preach to some of us tonight. God has designed His church to be dissolvers of doubt. God has designed His people to step into situations for which there is no answer, for which there is no hope, for which is filled with confusion and bring peace and bring answers and bring salvation and redemption. Dissolver of doubts. Verse 26. This is the interpretation of the thing. Many. Meaning, God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. The Kel. Thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. In other words, you come up short. You found lacking. Perez. Thy kingdom is divided. Given to the Medes and the Persians. Then commanded Belshazzar. They clothed Daniel with scarlet, put a chain of gold about his neck, made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. And in that night, Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, was slain. Darius the Median took the kingdom, being about three score 
and two years old. It is believed, widely accepted, that the way the Medes and Persians defeated the city of Babylon is that there was a river that ran through the city of Babel, or Babylon. And they literally dug a new riverbed. Daniel standing there in the midst of this party. In the midst of this party crowd. And he looks at the king. He said, God has called your number. You've taken that which was supposed to be used for the glory and worship of God. And you've profaned it. You've poured your sin into it. And partaken of that to which you had no business partaking. And in that short amount of time, that very night, an entire river is rerouted to prove the man of God's interpretation correct. The river is rerouted and the Medes and Persians simply walk underneath the wall. The wall that was supposed to be impenetrable. That was supposed to keep them out because there was a man of God in that city. He said, I will allow them to fall the unlikeliest of ways. Daniel is a dissolver. Of doubt. You can read on through scripture, but I'm going to expedite the message tonight. That word for dissolve is used six other times. It's used in the book of Ezra twice. It's used in the book of Daniel chapter two. It's used in Daniel chapter three. In verse 25, he answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire. They have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. That God is constantly in the business of looking at situations and using His people. Where there is doubt, He's using His people to bring clarification. He's using his people to allow doubt to fall apart. And the Medes and the Persians march into town that night. Belshazzar is killed and Darius is, is, is on the throne now at 62 years old. It would be that Darius that would look up as he sees he's waiting for Daniel's response to the letter that he has written, to the decree that he has written. And he hears the report of Daniel continuing to pray in spite of the decree that says if you pray to anybody but Darius you're going to be thrown into a den of lions oh so you think the children of God will cave you think that God's not big enough from generation to generation started with Nebuchadnezzar I had this dream if you can't interpret what my dream means I'm going to kill the whole lot captain of the guard Knocks on Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's house door. Saying, sorry, fellas. I'm here to cut off your heads. Daniel said, hang on. Hang on. Whoa. Wait a second. 
What's going on? King had a dream. Nobody can tell him. Let me pray. People are getting ready to lose their lives. Even the practicers of false religion. Daniel's concerned about their life. Let me pray. He calls his friends. We got to pray. I need an answer. I need an answer. God gives him an answer. He goes in. Nebuchadnezzar makes him one of the rulers. So on and so forth. It happens with Belshazzar. Happened again with Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel prophesies. Your, your hair is going to grow out like a lion's mane. Your, your fingernails are going to grow out like the talons of an eagle. You're going to eat grass in a field until you get a revelation of who God is. That you're not more powerful than God. God's getting ready to dissolve your doubt. It started with Nebuchadnezzar. It continues with Belshazzar. And then it goes on with Darius, king of Persia. I'm going to dissolve your doubt again. Daniel! Servant of the Most High God! It's your God that you serve able to deliver you from the mouth of the lion. O king, live forever! My God was able. There's an angel that shut the mouth of the lions. But Daniel looked hopeless. But my God's bigger than hopelessness. Daniel, they're beasts. They were hungry. But they're no match for my God. Daniel is a dissolver of doubt. And God is looking for a people in Huntington, Indiana at CLT that would make up their mind. I will be a dissolver of doubts. It continued with the three Hebrew children who were three Hebrew men. I won't bow. I won't give in to peer pressure. You can put me in the midst of this idolatrous crowd and I will not cave. We'll give you another chance. You don't have to waste your time. I'm not bowing. Well, you know the consequences. Yes, I do. I still won't bow. I'd rather be dead than living for God eternally, living with God eternally, than to give in. Do you think your God's able? I know God's able, but even if He's not, it'll still be better than living in your bondage. Heat it up seven times hotter. And they throw them in. And Nebuchadnezzar looks down. And again, his doubt is being dissolved. He said, I see four men. They're loose. There's no harm done. There's no burns. They don't even look like they've been singed by the smoke. And God is continually dissolving the doubt. I've come to preach tonight on this Sunday night to whatever situation you're going through. God is able. God is able. Luke 12, 28, if then God so clothe the grass which is today in the field and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? Seek not what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, neither be ye of a doubtful mind. 
For all these things do the nations of the world seek after. And your Father knoweth that ye have need of these things, but rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. God is a continually, in a continual motion of dissolving doubt. He's saying, listen, I'm trying to, to ease you into this thing, but think about the grass. That grass is still growing today. Tomorrow it might be cut down. It might be mashed down. It might be thrown into the oven to, to, for, for fuel, for the fire. It might be thrown into the oven for bread. You just don't know. But, but God is still in a continual business of making sure that the grass grows. You don't have, the grass doesn't have to wonder if it's going to grow or not. God is in the business of it. And don't you think that God who takes care of the grass in the field will clothe you who is not here today and gone tomorrow? Oh, ye of little faith. God is in the business of dissolving doubt. So, well, it can't be done. I've been told that. I've been told we can't have a multicultural church. But then this morning, the heath as I'm preaching I hear something heard somebody talking while I was reading scripture my first response is who in the world is being so disrespectful not to me to the word of God until I look up and I see little Adrian Reyes as I'm reading scripture in English he's reading it out loud in Spanish. Don't tell me it can't be done. God is a dissolver of doubt. Don't tell me. That all of our culture has got to fit in the same little box and be cut from the same Anglo-American cloth. Because the other week, Sister Lydia in prayer, Sister Lydia said, Pastor, I was back here and I was praying in Russian and I heard Sister Fishburne up here praying in English and she was praying in English the exact same thing I was praying in Russian. Don't tell me it can't happen. She's an answer to prayer. Adrian Reyes is an answer to prayer. It's a dissolving of doubt. It's a dissolving of what man said. It's not possible. God said it's more than possible. And God is looking for men and women of God. Musicians, you can come. I'm spent. I'm done. We, God's looking for a Daniel who can walk in to Babylon, walk into the most vile of places and say, listen, I know that this is the most unlikeliest of places, but God is speaking in the midst of your party. God is speaking in the midst of your chaos. And this is what God is saying. God's looking for people to grab hold of their faith and to put boots to the ground, to dissolve doubts, to say, you know what? I know 
It might be unconventional. It was unconventional in Acts chapter 10. Peter's praying on the housetop. That's not abnormal for Peter. He's on the top of Simon the Tanner's house. A place called Joppa. He sees a sheet come down from heaven. He's hungry. They're downstairs getting the food ready. He's beyond ready to eat. In fact, the Bible says he would have eaten. It's a nudge from the Spirit. Hey, let's, let's satisfy that hunger in prayer. While they made ready, he fell into a trance. Saw heaven open in a certain vessel descending upon him as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners. It's being let down to the earth wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. There came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. No, Lord, I've, I've never eaten anything that's common or unclean. voice spake unto him again the second time saying what God hath cleansed that call not thou common Peter's thinking about it all and in verse 17 now well while Peter doubted in himself what this vision which he had seen should mean behold the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house, stood before the gate. All the while, Peter's on the housetop doubting. Is this really from you, God? And in verse 20, we find God's answer to Peter's doubt. Arise, therefore, and get thee down and go with them. Doubting nothing. For I have sent them. While Peter, verse 44, yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. The people that were with him were astonished. As many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues, magnify God. I didn't think it could happen this way. I thought it was just for the Jews. But Peter allowed God to dissolve his doubt. And in obeying the word of the Lord, the men that were with him of the early church stood back astonished. They're getting it just like we are. And Peter looks around and he said, Can any man forbid? that these should not be baptized which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we. He commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. Folks, we serve a God who's a dissolver of doubt. You might have in your mind an individual that you don't think can be saved. God wants to dissolve your doubt. Say, well, I just don't know that it can happen that way, Pastor. I don't know it can happen the way that you're preaching. God wants to dissolve your doubt. 
And God is calling men and women of God to arise to the occasion in spite of your unbelief. Mark 9, 24. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. God is in this place tonight wanting to dissolve your doubt. He's wanting you to allow him to use you to dissolve the doubt that's going on around you in spite of what's going on in our world, in spite of the chaos. God is calling a people to be dissolvers of doubt, to show the world that God does exist, that God does have a plan for their life, that God does want you to be saved. Is there anybody in this place tonight? to say I want to be a dissolver of doubt I might have unbelief but I want to give it to God I want to give it to God tonight I want to give it to God come on God's able to take care of that situation 